0: man good morning um this morning we're going to be in luke 2 uh, so if you have your bible you can go ahead and kind of head that way um, i told you for like three weeks so you really should have come in with it marked but it's whatever um man i'm so excited to be here with you guys this morning so excited to finally get to luke 2 um i love this story um i don't know where you stand on it but i, I love it um, and i know maybe that's weird you're like Brad, it's Luke 2, right? It's everywhere. Uh, It's like even on Charlie Brown. um, I found out the hard way. I played that one day for kids at public school, and I was like, gonna get fired. Um, But I didn't, praise God. Um, But, um, man, it's everywhere. But I still don't really think that I get it. Does that make sense? Like, I've heard it a million times, but I still don't really think, like, to the depth of it that I get this truth this reality that that God himself came down here it's amazing to me that the guy who literally breathed out the stars as we just read like over in John it's not I mean if you believe the whole Bible you got to believe that right um the active voice of creation the one who like when you read Genesis 1 that that guy came down here and he could have created anywhere to be born, right, like if he created everything he could he could have made everything and he could have made whatever he wanted. He could have made this little nice area, clean, pristine, amazing spot but he he did, and he chose this place that he knew very well, intimately created it, he chose this place, stepped down into, and to me it's it 's amazing. Um, so this morning, we're going to talk about Luke 2, and I just, I just pray that maybe God would just open our eyes to it this morning in, in a different way and in, in a new way. Uh, it says, like everybody, we could probably quote this, right? <laughs> in, the, in those days, in the days Jesus was being born, right, a decree or a law went out from Caesar Augustus. This guy is like the first emperor of Rome the Roman Empire. Rome was a republic before that, and he kind of come in, and he became the first emperor of Rome. He ruled from, like, 27 B.C., I think, to, like, 14 A.D., so a pretty good little span there. You're know, like, oh, does that matter? Um, because this is a real story, right? Like, it's not some fairy tale or some made-up thing. It's not like—I can't think of any fairy tales right now, but it's not any of those— it's like Mother Goose. I don't know if that's a thing. I think it is. It's there somewhere. It's not like that, right? These are real characters with real dates. You can look up on a real calendar, and, and these events really happen, and God's not afraid for you to fact-check that. Like He's never been proven wrong. I don't know if you realize that. We've been here for with this book for thousands of years now, and nobody's ever been able to be like, no, nope, it's wrong. So I don't know what your trust issue is, but... Right? Like, I don't know that you should have one at that point in time. And he puts this guy in here and he says, somewhere between 27 BC and 14 AD, this guy named Caesar Augustus, who was the first emperor of Rome, he he made a law, and the law was that the whole empire, the whole Roman empire, it's a big, massive machine, should be registered got to take a census, they still do that here today, because you got to know, like if you're going to tax people, how many people you got to tax this is a good idea if you're an emperor he's in charge of roads and police forces and firefighters and you're like, Rome didn't have that, yes it did, look it up um, he was in charge of all that stuff And you got to pay all these people and you got to do all this construction, so he needed tax money, so the good thing for an emperor to do is to register people so you know how much money you're supposed to get, so he, he did that he didn't know he was part of the plan of God, he just did it it says in 2, the first registration, there's probably a bunch, took place while Quirinius was governing Syria. Quirinius, um, some dude, right? Who cares? Um, it says he was governing Syria. That's the area we talked about last week, right? This area of Jerusalem. You're like, well, why was Quirinius doing it? Because last week it was King Herod, and that was after the birth. Let me just cut to the chase on that. Governing is not a word that means he was the governor. It means he was in charge of something right? Anything. Very not specific word. And the thing that he was probably in charge of since he was part of the story is the census, because the story is about the census. Quirinius was governing or watching over in charge of the census. There's no discrepancy there. There's no thing there, right? We would have figured it out before today. There are people smarter than every one of us in this room that have lived on this planet. And if there was a discrepancy, we would know it by now. So let's just get that out of the way. Quirinius was in charge of the census that Caesar Augustus had set in place. Again, part of the plan of God doesn't even know it. It says in three, so everyone went to be registered. That's a good idea because the emperor said so, and you don't want to be a lawbreaker. It says each went to his own town. Now, this is not the town you live in, but the town your family is from. And it says in four, here's Joseph, right? Remember that guy? He also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee and this little small insignificant town in the northern region of Israel. He went up from that town, or actually geographically down from that town, um, to Judea, or to a city um, of David, which is called Bethlehem. He left the northern area and he went to the southern area to another insignificant little town, but this town happens to be the town that King David grew up in because Joseph was a direct descendant of King David. This is because he was, look at that, of the house and the family line of David. It says in five, he went to be registered along with Mary, remember her, who was engaged to him and was pregnant. They went on a journey. The journey that was like an 80 to 90 mile journey, actually, from Nazareth to Bethlehem. That's a big journey, by the way, for a pregnant lady. I've never been a pregnant lady, but I know that it's kind of difficult to get around sometimes when you are one. And, and this is the journey that they went on, 90 miles. No planes, no trains, no buses, no cars, no camels. They were poor. Uh, walking, 90 miles not already a fun journey in the life of Jesus right already great difficulty and trouble and struggle right here in the story of Jesus Jesus story was filled with struggle by the way he didn't get a pass because he was God this is that they went to be registered this is while they were there while they got to Bethlehem the time came for her to give birth Uh uh-oh You left my doctor in Nazareth, right? Like, here we are in Bethlehem, 90 miles away from where I'm supposed to be, and it's time to give birth. It's already an issue. And it says in seven, then she gave birth to her firstborn son. I love how the Bible just simplified all that labor, right? Like, I've seen it on TV. It doesn't look fun, and now we got like a half of a verse on that. It's like Jesus just kind of popped out. I'm pretty sure it's not the truth. Um But it says, then she gave birth to her firstborn son and she wrapped him snugly in cloth and laid him in a feeding trough because there was no room for them in the inn. Do you hear that? Isn't that horrible? Here's Jesus who's the... Son of God, the Messiah, the chosen one, the anointed one, the one who they've been talking about since Genesis 3 who had plenty of time to prepare. Right? God had plenty of time to make a plan. And here's the plan. That we would leave Nazareth and walk 90 miles to a town that we're not from and we would give birth to a son, not in an inn because there was no room, but in a place with a feeding trough we can debate where that is um, stable is the nativity scene that we have probably not that more than likely a cave a little hole right that was used as a stable and this is the area that Jesus would have been born into and the fact that he had you know a couple thousand years to prepare for it lends me to believe that maybe just maybe that was the plan of God That God planned for the Son of God, deity wrapped in flesh, to be born in not a palace or a temple, but a hole in the side of a mountain where animals would sleep. And that's the birth of Jesus. I think we could talk about the mess of that situation all day long, or you could go to the barn. Literally, I have one. You can go there. And you can just look around. Just take your shoes off and walk around for a while. Just go up there and enjoy the smells and the sights and lay down. I have a trough that I feed animals in. You can, it's big. You can get in there. And you can experience that. And all of you right now are thinking, I'll pass. Nope. Anybody, take your shoes off and walk around at the barn? John, anybody want to get down in the feeding trough tonight and just take you in a little nap? This is the situation that the Son of God was born into, and apparently it was the plan of God because he had thousands of years to make a place. There's no accident that Jesus was born into this place. Jesus was born literally in a mess because I think he wanted us to know that there was no mess that Jesus would not get into. Jesus would be born in a cave and laid in a feeding trough. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe, Jesus would come into my life, right? Maybe, just maybe, if he, if he was humble enough that the, the Son of God, the one who breathed out the stars, would do all that. Maybe, just maybe, just maybe, he would do something in me. And this is the story of the birth of Jesus. And today we're going to blow right past that. Because I think it's important to see, like, while Jesus was being born, like, the world was still doing something, right? I think the Silent Night song is, like, probably, you're going to hate me, but I think it's, like, the dumbest song ever. um, Because he was born in a cave filled with animals (laughs) with a mom that was given labor, right? And he was a baby. It was, like, messy night. I could get behind that hymn. Like, loud, I want to go to sleep night. I can get behind that hymn. Like, this wasn't my plan. I can get behind that hymn. I don't know if I can get behind Silent Night. um, But Jesus didn't step into a silent night. He stepped into a filthy cave. While that was happening, um, it says, in A, in the same region or the fields literally around Bethlehem, um, there were shepherds. Those are, if you don't know, sheep people. Um, They watch sheep. That's what they do. Um, Thank you take notes. Um, nobody? Okay, thank you. Uh, we're super serious today on Christmas, um, whatever. Uh, <laughs> there were shepherds, and they were staying out in the fields and keeping watch at night over their flock. So we know they're pretty decent shepherds, because that's what you're supposed to do if you're a shepherd, right? Like, thank you, Bible, for backing them up. They were doing their job. Um, there were these shepherds, these sheep people, and they were out in the field at night, and they were watching their sheep. That's what shepherds do, because that's their job, they're not just hanging out doing, like, whatever. They're not, like, over-eager shepherds. They're just <laughs> shepherds that are normal shepherds. And they're in the field watching them at night because at night there's these things called predators. Again, you can go to the barn. Stuff gets to eat at the barn all the time. Um, I don't have any chickens anymore. Just kidding. <laughs> um, there really is a big raccoon up there, though. But, um <laughs> But they were out there, and they were watching over these, these sheep, and they were doing what they were supposed to be doing. If, if a thief, thief was to come in, there was a shepherd there to protect the sheep. If a predator was to come in, there was a shepherd there to protect the sheep, and they were just hanging out kind of in the fields watching these sheep, who, by the way, were probably sheep that were intended um, for temple sacrifice. Bethlehem, I don't know if you know, is like six miles away from Jerusalem, so not very far. And there's a lot of sheep going in and out of that temple every day. Well, in that temple every day, I don't know if they're coming out. Um, and they got to get those from somewhere, and Bethlehem's a pretty good place for that. Um, so they were out there watching these these sheep that would go into the temple and be sacrificed, um, kind of sometime in their life. Um, and it says in nine into this situation, um, then an angel of the Lord stood before them. This angel stood. Before them, now this has never happened. This is not a normal thing in the field. Normally, there's shepherds, there's sheep people in the fields, and they're watching sheep, and they do that kind of 24 hours a day, seven days a week. They don't get like days off. They that's what they do. That's their livelihood. They watch sheep. Um, But what doesn't happen ever is angels popping up in the field. That's not a normal occurrence. That's kind of a miraculous thing. And in nine, it says then an angel of the Lord stood before them. That's pretty awesome. But then it goes on, and it says, And the glory of the Lord shone around them. The shone kind of would give us this image of, of light, that, that the glory of the Lord showed up, or the manifest presence of the Lord showed up. If you want to go with that word, glory can mean that, or it can mean the evidence of God. So you just take whichever one you want, uh, and, it, and it shone around them. I hope you get this image right here. They're shepherds, and they're doing what they do every single night. They're hanging out in the field. They're watching sheep. It's a really interesting life, and uh, everybody wants to do that. Uh, it's like they're everybody in the town's hero. I'm just kidding. It's not a fun job. They're hanging out, and they're watching sheep, and that's what they do all the time. They just hang out and watch sheep, and normally that's pretty uneventful. But this time, uh, while they're in the field and they're watching sheep, all of a sudden, it goes from midnight to noon. <laughs> Because the glory of the Lord showed up, and I don't know if you've ever experienced that. That's not a normal thing where it just kind of turns on, turns off the sun. It kind of has to go down and then come back up, or I guess we rotate, so whatever. But you get the image. Um, it, it, it's a gradual thing, and then all of a sudden here, just we're in the middle of the night, and then the lights turn on. And what you see standing in front of you through the blurry eyes, and the I've not quite yet adjusted, is this big, massive creature who happens to be an angel, but you don't know that yet, Right? Because you're still trying to adjust. Now, I don't know if you know much about angels, but if you've been to a play, that's very deceptive. Angels are not usually in the form of nine-year-old blonde girls with wings. That's not them. Um, <laughs> angels are big, massive warrior creatures. I, I don't know kind of, if I could draw you one today, but there's something kind of special and in the Bible we see in 2 Kings 19, I think it is, there's one angel that kills like 185,000 Assyrian warriors by himself before lunch. Like not, not a dude to be messed with. Can you imagine 185,000 men trained for war and there's like one angel out there and he's like, "Ah, it's no big deal. Just walking around swinging his sword, drinking tea or whatever. And he kills 185,000 of these guys. and It's like, no problem. He's not sweating. It's no big deal. This is the guy that shows up, right? (laughs) Maybe not that exact one, but something that looks a lot like him. And it went from midnight to noon. And here's this massive, scary thing in front of you. I think we read it a whole lot like this is a worship service, right? Like, oh, man, the the shepherds are probably really into this. They were like, dude, that's amazing. We were just out there with the sheep, and, like, uh, Billy was over there, and he just got back from the bathroom, and then, like, all of a sudden, like, the sun turned on, and God was there, and an angel was there. Hallelujah. That is not necessarily the scene that we walk into in this story. Actually, it even says, right, that, that they were terrified not they were like a little bit scared or they were confused or they were like kind of trying to get their eyes to adjust but they were terrified that's like scared beyond scared that's like different kind of scared right there they were terrified at what was going down it wasn't a peaceful calm worship service it was we're about to die You're like, well, this doesn't make sense. Like, God shows up, people don't die. Um, Read the Old Testament. Um, Angels are good things. Um, Yeah, also scary. Um, And, I mean, these are just shepherds, right? Why would God attack shepherds? Can Can I just say, we don't really understand this story because we don't know anything about shepherds. We are like Christmas played into this thing. We're like shepherds. They're just little boys from the age of 7 to 12. Um, and some are taller, some are shorter. None have beards unless you pencil it on with makeup. Um, and they got the little staff, and they're just little calm guys. And maybe they stand up and sing Silent at night or something. but like not big, bad dudes. But that's not shepherds in this culture or context. Shepherds actually in this culture were the lowest social rung. Shepherds were people who, like, you're you're not inviting shepherds over to the Christmas party, right? Like, you're not, like, hanging out with shepherds in the street. You wouldn't actually be seen with a shepherd because shepherds were on the same social rung of the ladder as tax collectors and dung sweepers. Isn't that awesome? And what that means is when you're on the bottom rung of the ladder is everybody on top of you is looking not up but down at you. Shepherds were unwanted, right? Like shepherds hung out in fields because people didn't want them in town. There are writings actually from this time period that suggested that you shouldn't buy milk or bread or anything from a shepherd because it was probably stolen if it first come from a shepherd. And these are those guys. They actually got the label sinner just because of their occupation. Doesn't matter what they do, doesn't matter where they go, doesn't matter what town they live in. You're like, well, what's up with that? Because I've read some of the Old Testament and like, Abraham, he was a shepherd. That's true, amen. Isaac was a shepherd, Jacob was a shepherd. Yes, they all were, but then they moved into Egypt. You know what Egyptians didn't actually like? Shepherds, not really a good thing if you're an agricultural society because goats and sheep, they eat your crops the Egyptians wouldn't even sit down at the table with shepherds like they were scruffy and unclean and nasty and when the Israelites left Egypt they left with that mentality that shepherds were unclean why would God have anything to do with shepherds why would shepherds are sinners like why would why would anybody I don't want to dwell with shepherds why would God want to be with shepherds so, so you have a group of people that probably, for the most part, if they can get by with it, would prefer to be in the field with the animals because the animals treat them a whole lot nicer than the people in the town. You know what animals don't do? They don't judge you. Like, they're not walking around like, oh, I can't believe you're a st- stupid shepherd. Like, they're not doing that. They, the animals kind of like you, right? Like, they'll do the thing. So they would rather hang out with sheep than go into the town, Shepherds, not people probably a whole lot of the time that visited the temple. Not really probably a thing for shepherds. And you're like, well, but we need sacrifices. And that would seem like a good thing. Yeah, we need sheep, but shepherds are like a means to an end. Like they're just kind of providing the service, but we still don't really care for them. Shepherds are nasty sinner people. Looked down on probably told, God doesn't want you, right? You get called a sinner all the time. Do you think that God wants you? You think that, man, that just draws people to repentance, doesn't it? <laughs> sinner, 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 sinner. Oh, let me run to the cross. That sounds great. Because what we hear when we get hear sinner all the time is, God doesn't want me. I can't come near God. God hates me, right? I mean, really? Is that not what it is? If I just text you every day, sinner, 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 sinner. It's like my level of conversation with you. What do you think? probably shouldn't go here, right? And this is the world they live in. Sinners, unwanted. God doesn't need you. God doesn't want you. You can't come to him. Shepherds wouldn't go to the temple for repentance because shepherds were sinner people, and they lived a lifestyle of sinner people, right? That's your occupation. You don't just get out of that. That's what you are. So when the angel and God show up, what they think is not, let's have a worship service. What they think is, we're about to die. We are sinners. Everybody tells us. We are unclean. Nobody wants us. And apparently, we've really screwed it up tonight because God just showed up. And I'm not getting the tingly goosebumps feeling. I'm getting the I'm about to die feeling because here's an angel and I shouldn't be here, right? Yeah. Kind of like Isaiah in chapter 6. You ever read that? Woe <coughs> is me, for I am a man of unclean lips. And what he means is I'm about to die. Let's translate that for you. Isaiah was a prophet. These guys watch sheep. Imagine the feeling. So this angel and God show up, and it says they were terrified, and I I can sympathize with that. I, I get you. It says in 10, but the angel said to them, don't be afraid. Man, thank you, angel. That worked, right? It's like somebody saying, don't be sad. How many times does that help? Um, don't be worried. Yeah, thank you. I never thought of that. Um, <laughs> so this angel shows up with such comforting words. And he says, don't be afraid. But really what he's saying, he's not, he's not being a jerk. What he's saying is you don't have to be afraid. For a look, open your eyes. Let's adjust a little bit. I am um, proclaimed to you, or I come to share with you, I come to tell you, uh, I proclaim to you good news of great joy. That will be for all people. This is what the angel says. You don't actually have to be afraid today because I'm not here to kill you. I'm actually here to do something else. I'm here to proclaim to you or to tell you some good news. So what is good news in essence? If we pull it down, what is the gospel is the what? Good news. I come to tell you good news or I come to share with you the gospel. Isn't this amazing? Here's Jesus being born in a cave just like a little bit away from here. And then instead of showing up like in the middle of Jerusalem, this angel and the spirit of God saying, Hey, everybody just want to tell you, there's a Savior six miles down the road. That apparently didn't happen, or we wouldn't have had the story of Matthew, right? Or showing up in the temple to the scribes and the, uh, and the, and the, and the Sadducees and the Pharisees and the high priest. Hey, just want to let you know that Messiah you've been looking for, he doesn't show up to those people. He doesn't show up in Caesar or Augustus's palace, does he? Hey, I just want you to know, Caesar, there's a, there's, a, there's a Messiah here that's come to save the whole world. He doesn't waste time with any of that stuff, does He, he actually, like... It's almost like if God was like, who, who's, who's the worst people just near enough to walk to the cave? Who's like the, the people that like everybody would be just shocked that they were in the story of God? Who are those people? And you just find like, I don't, I don't want like a, a decently bad person. I, I want somebody that everybody's like, God would have nothing to do with that guy. God would come nowhere near those people that the, the, the Jewish person reading this story would just jaw drop and like inhale the room. Like that's the person I want. Who is the angel man? And he was like, let's go find some shepherds. You couldn't have found anybody worse on the lower down on the ladder than these people in the town and the angels (laughs) and god they show up and he's like hey just good news we're not here to kill you actually we're here to tell you the best news ever we're we're here to present to you before anybody else ever finds out that this good news we want to share with you the gospel before anybody else ever hears it before it ever gets to the rich we want to give it to the poor before it ever gets to the good we want to give it to the bad before it ever gets to the religious we want to give it to the to the counted out like that's the people we come to first so we are here today don't be afraid to proclaim to you this good news of great joy good news of great joy can can you just hear that for a second it's very insignificant maybe to the story but it's very significant to the church it's not good news of moderate joy is it or good news of almost joy is it anybody it's not good news of a little bit apathetic about it right It's good news of the best story that we've ever heard in our lives, of the greatest joy. Not even just great joy, just the greatest joy. It is the best possible news on the planet. And every time you hear it, you should just freak out just a little bit is what he's saying here. Not like, ah, yeah, you've heard that a million times, but this is the gospel. The fact that God came here to die for sinful people, it is still the best news, people, is what he's saying. It doesn't matter how long you've been sitting in the church. It doesn't matter how long you've been sitting in the chairs. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. This is still the best news, and it should still freak you out just a little bit that this even began to happen. I know you've heard it a million times. I know it's on Charlie Brown. I know all that stuff, but every time you hear it, like even on Charlie Brown, amen, right? Right? like this is still good news of great joy not kind of joy or a little bit of joy or moderate joy and he's like if you don't have the joy you probably don't have the news right, right. oh but I know yeah you do but have you seen right. well, what, is he, what does he say to him? let me give you an intellectual argument for why this is the best news ever <laughs> so he says he says look open your eyes look I'm about to tell you the greatest news some good news and it is great joy that will be for all the people not some of the people or the very undignified people it would be good news of great joy for all the people whether you're a king or a priest or a pauper it's good news of great joy and it still should be that today if you look and it says, to, here's the news, right? Like, all that was just a buildup, hallelujah. We could clap at the buildup. Um, but but this, is, this is what he says. This is the news. Today, a Savior, a person who saves, right? A Savior who is Messiah. Maybe they're not religious people, but this word would have kind of rang a bell anointed one, chosen one, one that we've been talking about for all history, that all, that everybody's been pushing toward, every prophet has, has whispered about. Like, the, 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 even in Genesis 3, as, as God was given the punishments, he gave this prophecy that there would be this person that would come and he would crush the head of the snake and his heel would be bruised. Like, ever since that moment, we've been talking about a Savior, that guy— the fulfillment of every page before this page, the fulfillment of every day before this day for thousands of years that we've been pushing for that everybody has given up on, that everybody's like, oh, he's not coming back, except for Simeon, who we're gonna read about one day. But like everybody else is like, I don't know, maybe that guy, a savior, the Messiah, the chosen one who is the Lord. Let's not just make it about him being like a savior. He's also like the king, right? You can't have one without the other. It says that the Messiah, a Savior who is the Messiah, the Lord, oh, he was born today, but he was born for you. (laughs) I want you to hear that. Here are these shepherd people who everybody's counted out, and everybody said, like, "Oh no, that God wouldn't have anything to do with them. You just stay out of the temple and you stay out of the city and you just do the only thing you're good at. You go watch sheep. We don't want you here because you're sinners. We don't even want to trade with you. We don't want to exchange money with you. We just want you to go away. The counted out, the lowest of the low, like the worst people around Bethlehem, these are the people, and the angel shows up, and he's like, hey guys, I just want you to know, don't freak out, I'm not here to kill you, I have good news, and that news is going to bring great joy, because today, yesterday, and just a little bit down the road, there has been a Savior who is the Messiah, who is Lord, and he's been born for you. He was born for you, is what he's saying. Isn't that Amazing. Oh yeah, the Savior, the Messiah, the Lord, he came, but he didn't come just for like those people. He, he didn't come just for good people or religious people. Yeah, I, I came here today, you're the first people with this news. I came here today to tell you, even though everybody else counts you out, God counts you in, there has been a Savior born today, and he's been born for you. Man, that's good news when you're a shepherd, people. Maybe you're like dignified and you're like, I'm holy and I'm good and I'm righteous and I can get there. And I'm sorry to say you cannot. And I hope you get that one day between now and when you die because if not, you're going to end up in a pretty bad place. But I just want you to know for those of us that know, like, we got no hope with us and we are not good with us and we're counted out with us, those people God shows up to and He says, you know what? It's okay. Because I just want you to know, there's been a savior who's been born. And he's not been born for good people. Yeah, he'll do the thing for good people. There are no good people. And he's not been born for religious people. Because, you know, that's whatever that happens to be. He's been born for you. Like the bottom of the barrel, the lowest rung, the one everybody else says. There's no way in the world God would do anything for you. Yes, he would. He would leave heaven and come to earth for you. Can you imagine hearing that as the shepherd? What are, you, what, are you, what are you even talking about? What, what are you talking about? I have a Savior. He's been born for me. He's Me. They won't even let me in the temple. Like what, are you, what are you talking about? He's been born for me. I, I can come to him because he came to me. And, and your mind would be blown at that. Because that is good news of great joy. You know what's good news of mediocre joy? Mediocre joy. The Savior's been born. Okay. There's a Messiah. Okay. Savior's been born for your mom. Okay. Savior's been born for the church. Okay. Savior's been born for Joe. Uh, That's great. That's good news of mediocre joy, though, right? Like, I could be happy for you that you have a Savior, but I'll never be, like, overjoyed until I have a Savior. And God didn't come so that you could have a Savior, only he came that I could have a Savior. And that works for you, too. We can just turn that back around. But that's the part that gets me going, right? Right? Oh, I love that God came and he died for the whole world. And I love that God came and he saved sinners. And I love that God came and like people can go to heaven. I love all that. That's great news. It's, it's mediocre joy. But what I love and what overjoys me is that God came and he died for me. That I have a savior, that I have a Messiah, I have a Lord, I have a way that God will actually interact with me, that I can have a relationship with God. And these shepherds would hear that and they'd be like, what are you even talking about? There's, there's no way. There's no way. There's no way. I'm totally dreaming. This is. I've fallen asleep in the field, and I just, I don't know what's going on. I need somebody, Joe, come back over here and pinch me. Like, are you getting the same thing that I'm getting, Joe? Because this cannot be true. Because everybody has told me that I can't have a savior, and here I am, and there's an angel telling me I can have a savior, and I just, I don't know what's going on here. I don't know which one of these I can believe, right? Like, it would be an unbelievable moment, right? Like, maybe it's not if you're a good person. Maybe it's just whatever. Oh, yeah, God would die for me, totally. But, but it's not for me. Oh, yeah, I deserve that. It's not that way for me. And this angel shows up to these people and he says, hey, I just want you to know I have good news and that news is going to blow your socks off today because today the Savior who is the Messiah, who is the Lord, has been born in the city of David. But here's the great news. He's been born for you, shepherd people. And he says, this, is, this will be a sign for you. This is how you're going to know. Uh, you will find a baby. Okay, awesome. Wrapped snugly in cloth. That's great and laying in a feeding trough what <laughs> what are you what are you talking about this, this is the moment, if I was the shepherd, I would have just lost it in the story, right? Like, okay, that, I was with you. I was hopeful. I knew that I, I could maybe have a Savior because there's an angel here, and the presence of God is here, and I'm, maybe I'm with all that. But then you come here, and you tell me that there's a, there's a Savior who's been born as a baby. That makes sense because if you're born, you're a baby. Uh, and, and he's wrapped in clothes. That's a pretty normal thing. Like, I get that. But then you're telling me he's in a feeding trough? There is no savior in a feeding trough. The, no, right? Like the Messiah, God had thousands of years to plan for this birth, and the best thing He could come up with is a feeding trough. I'm, I'm asleep. <laughs> this is not. This is not reality. You, you know why? Because guess who puts their babies in feeding troughs? Shepherds, right? Like that's. That's ridiculous. Kings don't put babies in feeding troughs. God doesn't put babies in feeding troughs. Even, you know, bakers don't put babies in feeding troughs. It's disgusting. That's what we do, right? Talk about relatable. Relatable. God must have knew that that would be the point where he would lose him because it says in 13, suddenly, out of nowhere, right, there was a multitude of heavenly hosts with the angels, So he got one plus multitude, whatever that looks like, and they were praising God. So if like one angel in the presence of God didn't get it for you, right? He's like, oh, we're going to turn the volume up now. You know, like, we're we're going to invite you just right now into heaven. This is the invitation, right? There's been a Savior who's been born for you, and he's in a feeding trough, and if you don't get it yet, um, we're inviting you into this. They might not let you in the temple, but we will let you in to heaven they might not let you into church, but like we will let you into heaven. They might not let you into society and people and you may not ever be cool and you may not ever smell good, but we will let you in to heaven. And suddenly it says out of nowhere, there was this multitude of heavenly hosts with an angel and they were praising God. Like right? Like, this is what we would see today if we were around the throne, like a multitude praising God. And it says they were praising God and they were saying something. They were singing this song. It's an amazing song actually. It's like, you know, top 10 songs in the Bible for me. Um, and it says that, here's the song, Glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God in the highest heaven. This is a this is song that they're singing, and you're like, oh, that's cool. I know glory is a church word. It's a worship word. We use it in songs, hallelujah, whatever. But you, you don't get that, do you? Like I said earlier, glory is a word that actually has a meaning, like all other words do. Imagine that, like you can look it up. And the glory of God means a couple different things. One, it means the manifest presence of God. You're like, how, how do you get that? Well, there, there was a temple, right? And inside of that temple, there were a couple different rooms, but kind of the, the back part of that temple where only like one man could go one time a year, there was this place called the Holy of Holies. And inside of that room, that little box covered with a thick curtain, because you didn't want to even look in there, because if you looked in there, you might die. Like You couldn't couldn't go in there, but you couldn't even really look in there, because inside of that room, above that box, the Ark of the Covenant dwelt the glory of God. In that context, what is the glory of God? It's the manifest presence of God, that the presence of God actually dwelt on top of that box in that room. Well, no wonder you couldn't look in there. You weren't invited into the glory of God for years. Nobody could come into the glory of God. Priests couldn't go into the glory of God. Levites, who were like a whole like, group of priests, they couldn't go into the glory of God. Normal people like you and me, they would never even get into the temple, right? We weren't Jewish. We couldn't get in there. And here in the field, right, like the glory of God shows up to people that everybody else said, nope. You know why we couldn't get in? Because God had not yet invited us in. And in this moment, God steps into the field and he's like, you know what, out here in the middle of open, right, (laughs) I just want to say to everybody, it's not about a room anymore. Everybody has access to the glory of God. And I'm going to start with you, shepherd people. And here's the song, glory to God, the, the manifest presence of God, glory to God in the highest heaven, in the highest way, in the most way. What am I saying? I'm singing a song about how the glory of God just showed up on the planet of earth, the manifest presence of God just showed up on planet earth. And you maybe thought that box was cool. Man, wouldn't that be awesome? Love to just go in and see that box. That'd be amazing. I'd still like to just go in and see that, except I would die. Um, but I mean, it'd be, it'd be cool, um, wouldn't it? You thought that box was something. Oh, just wait till you meet this kid. You guys couldn't even come in the temple, could you? But man, you just wait till you meet this kid. That's maybe exclusive glory, but this is inclusive glory. Everybody, right, can come see this kid no curtain in front of the cave like everybody can come in another word for glory is this this evidence of god look at isaiah 6 we talked about it earlier they're singing this song holy 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 is the lord god almighty the whole earth is filled with his glory it's evidence of god he says look at the mountains look at the trees look at you don't just think all this got here do you like all this was made and it was put here and placed here by god you know it's the evidence of god everything around us is the evidence of god And, and here's what he's saying here's this song Oh man, you just thought that stuff was amazing. You you just thought like the the mountains, maybe that's your thing. I I could walk past the mountains. I love, they're beautiful. I don't know, I don't even see them because they're here. Ocean, now oh, that gets me. It's amazing. You, you just thought that was something. You just thought that was amazing. And you like, look at that and you're in awe. And you're like, man, that had to be a God thing. You just wait till you meet this kid. You just wait till you meet this kid. Glory to God in the highest heaven. That box, man, it was cool, but it has nothing on this. That tornado swirling around leading the people of Israel, that was cool, but it has nothing on this. That cloud that descended on that tent when Moses went in, man, it was cool, but it has nothing on this. That was for a few people to see for a short time. Man, let me just tell you, the glory of God has shown up on the planet Earth today. He's in a cave in a feeding trough over in Bethlehem. You want to go? All heavens singing, glory to God in the highest heaven. Can you believe this? The angels are even freaked out at the good news of great joy. This is the most amazing thing. God was here and now he's there. He shouldn't be with them, but he is with them. And we just got to sing because we don't even have words to wrap around this. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Glory to God in the highest heaven. Here's the rest of the song, right? Because that wasn't it. That was good. But thank you. There's more and peace on earth. And peace on earth? You're like, there's not peace on earth. That's true, and there never will be. Right? Like, there's going to be people with tanks shooting at other people with tanks. That's going to be a thing. There's going to be people with vests that have explosives on them. They're going to walk in the rooms and they're going to blow themselves up. That's going to be a thing. And it's probably not going to get better. He's not talking about peace between me and you. We're probably never going to have peace. We just aren't capable of it. Right. we're we're a mess, and given enough money and a knife, somebody's going down, right? Maybe that's not the thing for you, but there's something for you. Given the right situation, we're not peaceful people. We never will be, and that's not what he's talking about. He's not saying, oh, man, nobody's ever going to fight on the planet anymore. Nobody's ever going to curse each other on the planet anymore. Nobody's ever going to get in a disagreement anymore. That's not what he's saying, but what he is saying is, man, you've been separated for how long now? Not from each other. You're you're never going to figure that out. (laughs) it's never going to happen you've been separated from God for how long now a couple thousand years maybe I mean I know there was Genesis 1 however long that was and Genesis 2 however long that was but then Genesis 3 happened and from Genesis 3 till the birth of this baby like there was no peace between man and God we had rebelled against God that's crazy when you think about it God created us and then we sinned God made us, and we're like, you can't tell me what to do. (laughs) Well, I can. I made you. God gave us breath, and we used every breath to war against him. And you're like, well, I'm not that bad of a person. It's not about being a bad person, right? Like, God is the standard, and you are not him. So you are, in fact, a sinner, and you are waging war with your life against God. It doesn't matter what the side effect of that looks like. You get into the, oh, well, have you ever told a lie? We can get into that. But you know you're a sinner. I don't have to talk you into that. And if you don't know you're a sinner, you need to go get a shrink and some medication because you are. (laughs) You're not a good person. If you think you're a good person, your heart is lying to you. And you are headed towards hell. There is no peace between man and God that man asks for and or provides. We were separated from God because of our sin, and you validated that over and over and over and over and over again. And then God shows up to these people, these people that everybody's like, there is no way. He said, I just want you to know in the middle of the song today, there is peace on earth, and his name is Jesus. Jesus. There is a way that man can have peace with God and his name is Jesus. This little baby that you can walk right into today. We're about to give you the invitation to go in the cave. This baby that you can just climb down into the hole with today. This baby is gonna take your hand one day and he's gonna unite it with the hand of God. Today, he's here and he's crying in the chaos. I just want you to know, it's gonna look like a mess and it's gonna look crazy. He's in a manger for goodness sake. Like that's where he is. Um, but one day he's gonna grow up and he's gonna die on a cross i just want you to know i'm already singing the song and declaring it today there's going to be peace on earth between man and god again there's a way that you can come to him and that way is jesus and here's the song right glory to god in the highest god is here and he's bringing peace in his hand to people he favors to anyone god wishes to give it to is really what it's saying It says in 15, when the angels had left them and returned to heaven, the shepherds said to one another, what just happened? Oh, that's not in there. I think it leaves out the wonder in this moment. You're like, what do you mean? Well, if an angel popped up right here and the glory of God popped up right here, you wouldn't start talking immediately when the lights turn back off. You'd probably look over at Bill and be like, Did you see? You maybe not even would talk for a minute, but there'd be this kind of visual conversation of, I don't know if I want to say anything because you might think I'm crazy, but did you just see what I saw? And after that, it said the shepherds said to one another, let's go straight to Bethlehem and see what has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. You know you know what they didn't say? I understand. Oh man, thank you. I kn- I know there's a savior. Thank you. Hallelujah. Um, and I know he's in a cave in Bethlehem. It's amazing. I, I know it. I believe. it been kind of anticlimactic into the story, wouldn't it? Oh yeah, I believe. I believe there's a savior you know what they said? They said, let's go see. This is going to sound crazy, maybe coming from me this morning, but belief is not really enough. Belief isn't really anything. You can believe whatever you want to. I could, I could make an argument and screw you up so bad you wouldn't have any idea what was going on. Um, and, and you could believe it. But it wouldn't do anything, would it? See, belief is always followed with action. And belief without action is not actually belief. It's just a thought process. Belief is always moving forward. Belief is, is, a, is a directional word. And and what these guys said was, man, that's the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. And I cannot believe that an angel showed up to me and that the presence of God showed up to me and they told me there's a Savior. But they didn't just leave it there, did they? I believe I have a Savior. That's amazing. Thank you. I believe there's a Messiah. Well, it would take a lot of messed up to not. Um, What they said was, I want to go see. That's, that's great news and, and, and that's great joy, but I just want you to know, like, I have to see it myself. I have to see it myself. and It's, a, it's the same truth today. Like, why, are you, why are you saying that? We know that, Brad, because there's a lot of us that are stuck in that place of belief that we've never seen. Right? Like, oh, I believe that there's a Savior, and I believe He died for me, and I believe that, like, the, that I'm going to go be with Him. And that's great, but have you ever experienced the fact that there is a Savior? Have you ever experienced the fact that there is someone who will forgive you of your sins? And here's, here's what I mean. Are you living in guilt today? Then maybe you should go see. Are you, are you living in shame today? And then if you are, maybe, maybe you should go see. Because I can believe there's a Savior, but I will never be free from those things until I see that there is a Savior. Now, I believe that that God loves me, but, but I've ever experienced love. God, I've ever felt that. Do I feel worthy today? Do I feel loved today? Do I feel like I'm enough today? And if I'm not, maybe I should just go see. We're like, we don't, we don't have to just believe that Jesus died on the cross. We can experience the fact that Jesus died on the cross. We don't have to yeah. believe today it's in itself that Jesus came to earth. And as, as a baby, we can experience these things today. I'm not saying take a trip to Bethlehem, although that would probably be cool. What I'm saying is today, like you have to get this yourself. It's cool that there's stories from angels and it's cool that like sometimes we we're ushered into the presence of God and it's cool that other people have stories. I love hearing stories about what God's doing in people's lives, but if God's not doing anything in my life, I'm not experiencing it, then belief is not really doing anything for me. Today, God did not just come, right? Like, he didn't step down out of heaven so we could live off other people's stories about what God's doing. He stepped down out of heaven so we could have a story about what God is doing. So the shepherds, they had like an opportunity at the end of this thing. God didn't just beam them over, right, to the to the, to the cave wasn't just like you don't have a choice bam bam you know like that wasn't the deal um he said hey i have good news and it's it's gonna blow your socks off today there's been a savior the messiah who is the lord he's been born for you here's how you're gonna know go to bethlehem I've appointed you the way. I've told you the direction. I've told you the signs to look for. I've told you where he is. Now quit living off other people's stuff and go experience it. See, that's the amazing thing about Emmanuel, God with us. It's not God with some dude on the stage. If I didn't have a relationship with God on my own, I would not want you to sit here and listen to me. I go look for God Monday through Saturday for me, and that's why we can point at Him on Sunday. Yeah. And I, I just want—I just want to say, like the shepherds, we have a, an opportunity today where we can stand in the field and we can be like, "Man, that's a great story. I love that. Thank you. Hallelujah. Amen. It's Christmas. Woo!" Or. We can do what God has always been inviting us towards, and we can go and we can experience God. That's the message of Christmas. I'm going to just say it's not a message for religious people, although religious people can get the message. And it's not a message for good people, although if you think you are, you can still come into the message. It's a message for the least of the least, the low of the low. It's a message for those that, like, there's no way God would want me and God's saying to you today, no, you're exactly the kind of people I want. See, the reason sinners are always part of the story of God is because the story of God was written for sinners. And every time we see Jesus, no matter where he is in his life cycle, right, like that's who he's hanging out with. So today it makes sense that maybe just today Jesus is still wanting to hang out with the same people. So he can put on a mask and be like, oh, I've got it together. I'm amazing. I'm the greatest. And you can fool you, but you can't fool him. Because inside he knows that you're broken and you are not whole and you need a savior. And what he's saying today is you can come right? Glory to God in the highest. Man, you thought that worship song on the second verse into the bridge, you thought that was amazing. You just wait till you come and you find me. You can keep living off bridges if you want, but man, that's not going to get you anywhere. Man, you thought that third point in the message, uh, you thought that was great. You just wait till you come and find me because here's the news. Glory to God in the highest. The best presence of God that you're going to get is in that baby Jesus. It's not in a message. It's not in a song set. It's not in a radio station. It's in a person. And you have access today. I took the glory out of the temple and put it in a cave so you would know you could come. I took the glory off the top of a golden box and I levitated it over a place where animals eat just so you would know you could come. Maybe you can't relate to the golden box, but can you relate to the dirty manger? Maybe you can't relate to the clean gold temple, but can you relate to the filthy cave? And Jesus today is saying, I'll step into that. You're like, I'm already saved. That's awesome. Are you experiencing Jesus or are you coming to church? If not, the angel's saying today, come to the cave. Just come to the cave. Take your shoes off. Stay a while. (laughs) Come to the cave. Maybe for some of you today, man, I just showed up here today. I don't even know how I got here today. And God's saying to you, you know what? The story is for you. I'm a sinner. That's great. I came for those. You don't know what I've done. Um, Jesus knows exactly what you've done. And he still stepped down into a cave for you. Let's pray.